where we tell you all about strange things that happened in history. I'm your host, Amelia Edwards, and with me is my co-host, Barnaby King. What up, yo? Indeed. (laughs) Now, Barnaby, I've been spending some time watching the news. Yeah? Or rather, looking at the constant news updates that the BBC is spouting out at the Mm -hmm. moment. About the Mongolian hordes? No, this time we're moving on from Mongolian hordes. Okay. That was my episode! I know it was! (laughs) But what I've been thinking about is a lack of leadership that seems to be happening in a lot of countries at the moment. Ah, cool. Are we going on a political rant this week? We are going on a political rant this week. Yay! So, you might have noticed that there are a lot of leaders that seem to only really have the acknowledgement of about half their country Mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah. And what we really need in this time, in this difficult time, is an emperor. An emperor? Absolutely. Emperors sort out everything. Okay. Um, I mean... uh, Right, okay. I'm thinking back to Rome now. Okay. Emperors tended to go crazy. Well, only towards the end of Rome, though. Mm, I suppose. Um, Who else had emperors? Byzantines had emperors? Yep. I think they were actually pretty chill. Yeah, they lasted ages. Yeah. See what I mean? Um, We didn't have an emperor, did we? We had an empress. Queen Victoria. Was she actually an empress? Yes. Because she's always referred to as queen. She did have the title of empress, um, bestowed upon her after we stole India. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. Well, I mean, you know, this is a history podcast, so we probably (laughs) we shouldn't just, like, gloss over the fact that, you know, British Empire wasn't really so nice to people who, you know, weren't white. Or that's British. That's true, but we're veering away wildly from the okay, topic at yeah, hand. Okay, yeah, yeah. So back to emperors. Emperors solve everything. Apparently. Emperors solve everything. But not empresses, am I right? Hey. No, of course I'm not. Again, I'm coming across like a dick, but there we go. That's all right. Yeah. It's okay. I know. Good. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about a time when America, one of those countries that I think really wants an emperor sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. Actually, did have an emperor. Oh, okay. Cool. What? (laughs) I know, right? The year was 1859. The place? San Francisco. I know nothing about San Francisco. I I was just, I was trying to come up with something to say about it, but then I realised I was just about to go, New York! Yeah. that's not right. I don't think there is a good San Francisco song. No. I mean, I've been to San Francisco. Okay. It's lovely. Very hilly place. Mm -hmm. They make sourdough there. Okay, this very is just, on topic. This is just sounding like Sussex. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, they've got a very famous bridge. We don't have that in Sussex. No. They've got the Golden Gate Bridge there. Yeah. Um, they've got a lot of hipsters. Mm-hmm. And that is Sussex. Yeah, I know. It's, it's very like Sussex, but also <laughs> not at all. <laughs> wow, I never thought I'd be comparing San Francisco to Sussex. I really liked it, but that might have been because it was exactly like West Sussex. Mm. I was in East Sussex, Brighton. Alright, fine. Mm. Yeah. Completely unrelated. Okay, so, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. In the 1850s, America was a really, really tense nation at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of argument between the northern and southern states about states' rights and the abolition of slavery. So this is before the American Civil War? It's two years before the American Civil War. Oh, okay. So right. we are getting, like, <laughs> yeah. het up about this. Yeah. 
To be honest, I don't know how much San Francisco actually took part in the Civil War, but I'm pretty sure that the tensions could be felt there as well, because mm. we've got newspapers by this point in time. Yeah. Um, as well, the gold rush in California was bringing in all kinds of new, uh, new immigrants from all over the world. And, you know, whenever you start to get new immigrants, people start to get bullshit about having new immigrants. Yeah. And also, the westward expansion was just starting to come to an end. I think Oregon got founded, like, the year after. Right, okay. The president at the time was James Buchanan. Right. And I didn't know anything about James Buchanan. No. So I looked him up on Wikipedia. Of course. And Your I, go-to source. Of course. And he is apparently considered by historians one of the worst presidents in American history. What did he do that was so bad? I think he was just crap. I mean, okay... But what did he do? I mean, we've got a pretty bad president at the moment. Like... I, I think it was because he was so um, inefficient at right. stopping the civil war from happening. Okay, right. So it wasn't worse as in he'd done like a lot of bad stuff. No. It, it was worse because he was just bad at his job. Yes. Right. Okay. I see. In trying times like that, mm -hmm. it's often the responsibility of one person to take control. Right. And the prayers of the American people were finally granted when a notice appeared in the San Francisco newspapers. Okay. And this said, At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself Emperor of these United States. Right. So this just turned up in a newspaper? Yeah. Okay. Can I do that here? Can I declare myself Emperor of Norwich? I don't see why not. Can I just write to the Eastern Daily Press? They'd probably publish it. Yeah, they probably would, <laughs> actually. Also, nine years and ten months. I don't know, like, that does... Because it's like, he's two months off that nice, like, round ten years. Yeah. But nine years and ten months does sound more official than it saying, really oh, these does. past ten years. That sounds like someone who hasn't really, like, saying, oh, these past ten years, it's like, you haven't really counted, you're just guessing. But nine years and ten months, is like, yeah, that person knows. He knows. <laughs> um, so this was Joshua Norton. Um, and this was signed, Norton the First, Emperor of the United States of America. Nice. He's going right for it. He is. So, who was this mysterious man? Hmm. Had a large majority of American citizens really asked him to become emperor? How were America's democratically elected government and President James Buchanan, the worst president in United States history, hmm. going to deal with a new emperor ruling over them? I mean, from what you've said, probably he, he wouldn't do anything. You're absolutely right. He yeah. did f*** all. Yeah, well, fair enough. So... But to answer the first question, who mm. was this man? Uh, we'll have to go back to November 1849. Right. So that's when Joshua Norton, a South African businessman, originally born in Deptford, in Kent, right, arrived in San Francisco. So what you're saying is he's not American at all. I want to see his birth <laughs> certificate right there. No, he is all kinds of things, yeah. is our Joshua Norton. He was born in England. Yeah. To Jewish parents right. who moved to South Africa, mm -hmm. and then when they died, he moved to San Francisco. Yeah, there's a lot of different places to go to. Sounds an interesting childhood, and I could see why when you've moved between three continents, mm -hmm. you suddenly decide you want to rule one of them. Absolutely. I mean, this is the kind of man who knows about the world. 
And apparently, he also arrived with quite a lot of money. Right. So people think that when he arrived in America, he had $40,000 from his late father's estate. Okay. Uh, Now, I'm not sure about that, because there is literally no proof. Okay. It's just one of those sort of, like, legends that build up around a person. It's commonly told in the story of this man. He had $40,000. And also, that would have made him a millionaire in today's money. Okay, nice. So mm-hmm. he's starting off with a bit of privilege. Absolutely. <laughs> but the problem is that no matter how much money he actually had, yeah. he did have enough money to try a business de- deal that would ruin him. Oh, okay. Right. What was the business deal? Well, okay. So like I said at the beginning of the episode, there was a lot of immigration to California because of the gold rush. Mm-hmm. And one particular group of people that were moving to San Francisco were the Chinese. Right. So the Chinese population was booming at the time, but they could not get hold of one of the staples of their diet in the early 1850s. Kebabs. (laughs) Absolutely. Chinese people love kebabs. Yes. No, this is rice. Okay. And that's because there was a rice famine in mainland China. Okay. And as a result of that, the Chinese government banned any export of rice. Right, okay. So, our Joshua Norton sees a good opportunity. And as soon as a ship filled with rice from Peru arrived in the harbour, he bought the whole shipment. Okay. He spent $25,000 on Peruvian rice. Right. At 12.5 cents a pound. Okay. And I did the maths on this because I was like, how much rice did he buy? Right. He bought 200,000 pounds of rice or 100 US tons. Okay, that is a man who was stockpiling right there. He was. He <laughs> thought that he could corner this market yeah. and basically be the supplier of rice to the Chinese in San Francisco. But the tragic part of the story is that after he bought all this rice... More ships arrived from Peru, Mm -hmm. also filled with rice. Right. And this brought the cost of rice down to three cents per pound. Right. Instead of 12.5. Right. So he went bankrupt. Yeah. And by 1858, he was living in reduced circumstances in a boarding house. So did he just not sell the rice quick enough? I think that's it. Right. Like, imagine you've got 100 tons of rice. Yeah. Um, he had it at 12.5 cents a yeah. pound. Um, so... And he just sat on that 100 tons, like... I mean, maybe he sold some of it, but it must be kind of hard to shift. I suppose, yeah. I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of the sheer volume of rice that you're getting from that. I guess even when even when people are, you know, super hungry for rice, there's only so much he can eat. Yeah, also... Um, I think it would have been kind of hard for him to sell it even at that price because apparently before the Chinese rice famine, it was four cents a pound. So people are still not going to be too happy to buy it for yeah like 13 cents or whatever. Yeah. I did way too much research into this whole rice thing. I really wanted to figure out what was going on. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so he's, he's stuck in a boarding house now. Yeah. He's got basically no money. Yeah. And this should be tragic. But it's not. It's We're going to laugh at him. <laughs> that man made a bad business deal and now he's destitute. <laughs> no, I think he does the best thing I've ever heard of anyone doing once they've gone bankrupt. Yeah. Because thus begins the reign of Emperor Norton I. And also, no, nobody asked him to become emperor. Right. You know yeah. how he said a majority of yeah. American citizens? Yeah. No, no one asked him. 
Okay. Um, so he published his letter in the San Francisco newspapers. Yeah. He got a fancy emperor outfit. And this was a blue uniform with gold epaulettes. Epaulettes. These are those little bits on the shoulders. Oh, the shoulder thing with the tassels. With the tassels, yeah. It just sounds like Napoleon at this stage. I know. He does look a bit Napoleonic. Right. Except that he was like quite a tall, quite a large man in all ways, I okay. think. Okay. Um, a also... beefy Napoleon. A buff Napoleon. <laughs> Jacked, jacked, and ripped Napoleon. Oh yeah, Wellington, you're gonna come up. You're like, what's that thing? Chad and Virgin something. I don't know. What are you saying? I don't know. It's a weird internet thing. Okay. See, I've just got this image from this of um, Emperor Norton, the beefiest, uh, the beefiest emperor there ever was. He comes up against actually Emperor Napoleon the Third at this point, right? Being like, "Yo, dog!" Oh God, <laughs> sounds so bad. Here to beat from you. down. <laughs> I try. It's okay. It's just I know I'm posh, but you're even posher. Shh. More posh. Posher. Yeah. Posh is slang. Anyway. Okay. So he's dressed in his emperor outfit mm-hmm. and he begins to wander around the streets of San Francisco fulfilling his duties as emperor. Okay. Which includes things like examining the state of repair of the cable cars mm-hmm. and pavements and the appearance of police officers. Making sure they were smart enough. Yeah. Right. So he's just going around basically being kind of nice, kind of cute. Yeah. Uh, checking that everything's all... Nice and well looked after and that kind of thing. Okay. It does sound like he's doing this having had a massive mental breakdown. I mean, that's possible. Like, that's very possible that he's had a mental breakdown. I mean, like, thinking about it, you don't immediately go from I've made a bad business deal involving rice to I am emperor of the United States without a few leaps in the sanity logic. I mean, to be fair, it's been seven years, actually, since the whole rice debacle. I think that's... I mean, if nothing significant happened to him between those times, you've got to guess that, you know, the failure and the whole living in awful conditions has probably got to him. That's true. One thing I will say for him is, I think in terms of having your mental breakdown, Mm -hmm. making yourself into a fake emperor and going around being generally nice to people is quite possibly the most fabulous way of doing this. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, when I have a mental breakdown, I say in bed. Mm. I'm not going to be like parading around the towns with a sabre, which he also had. Nice. Mm. Excellent. Well, you can't be emperor without a sabre. I guess. How are you going to look good on a horse? (laughs) I don't think he had a horse. Well, you can paint him with a horse. That's true. For like the official portrait and things like that. It's like that famous painting of Napoleon. Does he have a sabre in that? Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. He also printed his own money. And the local restaurants would accept this. Okay, that's nice of them. Yeah, because basically they were just giving him a free meal. Okay. Um, and this was this was the thing about Emperor Norton, because, like, yes, he's clearly a man who's had a mental breakdown. Mm. But the thing that makes him interesting is the fact that he just seems to have been really genuinely loved by the people of San Francisco. Yeah. So in 1867, some security guards, who claimed to be police officers, yeah. arrested him. And they put him in a mental institution. Oh. That's not, this is not a good time to be in a mental institution. It is not. No. And this massively outraged the people of San Francisco. Oh, nice. They published angry letters in the newspapers. <laughs> right. And the chief of police 
ordered him released and issued a formal apology on the part of the police force. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. And even more than that, Emperor Norton pardoned him, obviously, did an official pardon. Yeah. And from then on, all police officers would give him like an official nod whenever he went past. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I think people liked him so much and why they went along with this whole idea of him being the emperor yeah um was that he seems to have been a genuinely compassionate man okay um apparently if you talked to him he would give you a nice um anti-government rant like <laughs> philosophical um but not in a sort of scary oh my gosh this is a mentally ill homeless guy right. way but one that people found entertaining okay so he he's not in support of the government no because it's a republic and uh... he's the emperor <laughs> It's because he thought that it was um, really corrupt. So I'm going to get onto this in a moment. Okay. Um, so as well as giving yeah, you one of these... tease me. Tease me like that. <laughs> At the time, there were a lot of anti-Chinese riots. Mm -hmm. And apparently he actually broke up one of these riots. Oh, cool. Um, he stood between the rioters yeah. and the Chinese people that they were aiming to hurt... And stood with his head bowed and said the Lord's Prayer and the rioters left. That's so cool. I know. Isn't that just badass? That's amazing. Like, no matter one's position on Christianity, yeah. that's damn cool. I mean, yeah, at that point he could be saying anything, mm -hmm. but it does make it cooler that it's the Lord's Prayer. I know. Gorgeous stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of him and the government... He does seem to be kind of good at saying what people might have been thinking. Okay. He repeatedly uh, called for Congress to be broken up because they were corrupt. Mm -hmm. And also, at one point, he declared the abolition of both America's political parties in order to end party strife. Okay. So you know when you kind of get fed up because people are obviously just arguing for the sake of arguing and not doing what's good for the country? Yeah. Clear answer here. Get rid of both of them. Put Emperor Norton the first in charge. I mean, at this stage, I'm kind of agreeing with him. I mean, we've seen what's happened out there. Absolutely. The two-party <laughs> system does not work. Get an emperor. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy does not work. <laughs> and obviously, everyone who was actually in charge ignored his decrees. Yeah which he published in the San Francisco newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, and especially they ignored it when he ordered the army to clear out Congress. Aww. I know. Aww. We, he should have asked the San Francisco police force. They would have done it. I think they would, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> oh, and also a side note. Yeah. Um, he was also the protector of Mexico. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Why did he decide that? <laughs> well, <laughs> so... Napoleon III of France yeah. invaded Mexico at okay. some point in the 1860s. Right. And so he said, okay, so not only am I emperor of America, uh, I am also the protector of Mexico. Oh, you just kind of like Mexico. I don't think he ever went to Mexico. Well, you can like the idea of Mexico. I guess one can. Yeah. I like the idea of Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of Iceland. I've never been. I really want to go, but I can like <laughs> the idea of it. But can you make yourself the emperor of Iceland? No, but I guess I can make it its protector. That's true. All right. I'll keep Boris Johnson from annexing Iceland somehow. <laughs> Imagine if you tried it. What would be the point? Unless I could see him doing something like that. Mm. Oh man, I need to talk about the Cod Wars at some point. <laughs> what? 
I'll tell you later. Okay. We can cut that bit. No, we're not going to cut that. We're going to tease it. <laughs> tease it. Okay. The final reason that people loved him, I think, was also just due to his eccentricity. Okay. So the people of San Francisco made souvenirs based on him. Yeah. And his banknotes, the ones that he used to pay for his like free meals and restaurants. Yeah. Were considered collector's items. Okay. Apparently you can get quite a lot for them if you still have them these days. Oh, wow. Okay. Somebody said that San Francisco lived off Emperor Norton, not Emperor Norton off San Francisco. Oh, that's very sweet. I know. There's this whole sort of like reciprocity, I guess, yeah. in their whole relationship. It seems like he's a bit of a mascot, really. Yeah. He's not, he's not obviously in charge of it at all. But people kind of like, just like that he's there and will go out of their way to make sure he stays there. Yeah. Like, they, they try to look after him, I think. So, like, mm. as well as the restaurants, they also, um, there was also a point where the city council saw that he was looking a bit shabby. And so they paid for him to get a new uniform. Aww. I know. So cute. <laughs> Isn't it lovely? <laughs> I think some people viewed him in a slightly more negative light. Okay. Um, so, for instance, Mark Twain lived in San Francisco for part of his reign. Right. Um, and he based a character on him in Huckleberry Finn. Okay. Called well, The King. Okay. And The King is like... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I mean, you said the king. I know I did. I'm I not, know I did. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna leave that. <laughs> I'm gonna do a little Elvis. God, that was terrible. That was bad. That was bad. The the uh, was. Pretty, it was a good. Uh, that that was pretty good, but the impression was terrible. <laughs> so, um, in Huckleberry Finn, yeah, uh, the king is this character who is like larger than life, believes that he's in charge of things, but he is kind of shown as slightly villainous. Like okay. he's uh traveling the Mississippi River along with a criminal. Yeah. So I'm not sure about that depiction, but it is one of those interesting things where because he was such this really eccentric figure, he turns up in a lot of other people's literature Mm. as a new character. I mean, Mark Twain kind of seems to have hated everyone, really. That's very true. He was an an amazing person, but he was also cantankerous, shall (laughs) we say. For sure. Yeah, so I'm not entirely surprised that he wouldn't get along with the Emperor of America, Mm -mm. um, who I was... I know he's called Norton. I forgot his first name. Uh, Joshua. I was about to call him Edward Norton. I keep writing that on the... (laughs) It's because it's Emperor Norton. Yeah. It's very close already to Edward Norton. Yeah, so that is just in my head. But yeah, okay, so Mark Twain didn't like Edward Norton. Yeah. Right. Um, But I think on the whole, people really like the idea of him. So as well as Mark Twain writing about him, um, Robert Louis Stevenson also wrote about him. Okay. Robert Louis Stevenson's daughter wrote about him in her memoirs. I'm not sure if she ever met him, but she had this like really lovely romantic idea of him. Okay. And other people like Neil Gaiman have written about him too. Ah, cool. An author we both like. He turns up in Sandman somewhere. Oh, yes, he does. Uh, yeah. You'd think I'd have been more prepared for this week. <laughs> <laughs> I like Sandman. I introduced you to it. You did. <laughs> so, sadly, the Emperor Norton died on January the 8th, 1880. The San Francisco Chronicle reported his death with the headline, Le Roi est mort which means the king is dead. Long live the king. Exactly. <laughs> when people examined his lodgings, they found that he only had $2.50. Okay. Along with 
a collection of walking sticks and hats. Nice. Letters he had written to Queen Victoria, suggesting that they get married. Okay, fair. And two fake telegrams. Right. One from the Russian Emperor Alexander II, congratulating him on his upcoming marriage to Queen Victoria. Excellent. And one from the President of France, condemning the marriage on the basis that it would be disastrous to world peace. Okay, you know what? I, I'm super into the narrative he's created around himself because he's not doing like a, like just pure wish fulfillment thing. Yeah. He's not just like, I'm the emperor, I'm so wonderful. He's not Trump. He doesn't think like, I'm absolutely amazing, I'm the best at everything. He's got like proper narrative structure where it's like, ooh, these people like what's going on here. These people don't like what's going on here. There's going to be political <laughs> strife. I, like, he's got a better sense of his, his self. Yeah. Than Trump. Even though his self is entirely made up. Yeah. I, I'm still, I, I'd still prefer Emperor Norton right now. Yeah, I mean, it's great that he decided that he couldn't possibly marry Queen Victoria, who I think was already married. <laughs> Well, well, uh, oh yeah, I don't know the dates because Albert was it Albert. Albert was pretty yeah. early on, I think. Yeah, and he died quite young. That's true. Maybe she was widowed. She might have been widowed. She wouldn't have married anyone else anyway, though. No. Um, so, yeah, like it's mad that he kind of went. Okay, so obviously some people would like it if I got married to Queen Victoria, um, and it could disturb world peace. Although, why the Emperor of America marrying the Queen of England would disturb world peace, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I can kind of see that. Like, if you think about it in terms of marrying it politically, then at this point, you've, the British Empire is like in full swing, right? That's true. So that covers, at its peak, a quarter of the globe. Yeah. And then you've got America, which is big f- place that's true especially I... now westward expansion's finished exactly so at this mm. point you'd basically have a couple ruling most of the known world that's true i think that would disturb some peace somewhere <laughs> but why would the russians like it well they do also have a pretty big landmass. maybe they're just trying to like get someone into the club could be maybe it's sort of like an exclusivity thing where it's like what square footage do you do you rule <laughs> would they have a little private clubhouse for oh, yeah. kings of a certain yeah, definitely. Yeah, have a little fancy doors and, and there'd be someone there checking how large your domain is. Um, <laughs> Wait a second. Not I... anything else. Not how large your penis is. Oh my God. <laughs> it's because I paused on large. <laughs> Huge tract of land. <laughs> so once again, the people of San Francisco and their love for Emperor Norton kind of characterises his death. Yeah. Because originally he was going to be buried in a pauper's grave Mm -hmm. on account of only having $2.50 to his name. Mm -hmm. But the people of San Francisco came through for him. A businessman's association called the Pacific Club banded together to pay for his funeral and a rosewood coffin. Oh, how tasteful. I know, it seems very fancy to me. Who were the Pacific Club? They were apparently just this, like, group that had sort of got together mafiosi style maybe Uh, i'm not a hundred percent sure about that so is it a gentleman's club and possibly a family i think it's not quite family but i think it is um businessmen who are interested in being closely connected to each other uh insider trading sort of thing maybe right hard to say in the 1850s 
America. Well, we can slander the dead here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is when the Pacific Club's like descendants come after us. But... I'm, I'm sure you were going to say zombies. <laughs> I don't know which I'd be more worried about, to well, be honest. San Francisco is a long way away. Yeah. And the graves are all still over there. So I think if the zombies came for us, it would be a couple of years before they got here. Yeah, that's true. I think we're okay. Yeah, fair enough. So it was reported that 10,000 people from all different walks of life came to the funeral Mm -hmm. in order to pay their respects to America's only emperor. Nice. I mean, that's impressive, really. It's a really good send-off. Yeah. Apparently the funeral cortege was a third of a mile long. Jesus. I know. That's actually a bit sad. That's a bit of a sad ending to this right here. I mean, it's lovely and everything, but he just kind of dies and... I know, I couldn't think of a happier way to end it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there's not really going to be a happy way because it's not like there's a succession or anything like that. We don't move on to Emperor Norton II. Yeah. Like, because he's the one and only emperor. I guess what we could say, though, in a sort of happier note, Mm -hmm. is that I do think that the Emperor Norton um, embodies quite a lot of San Francisco's originality and uniqueness within the United States. Okay. So if you look at the way that they acted towards him, that sort of amount of love and outpourings for him, Mm. I think that um, San Francisco as a city kind of keeps on going with this. Yeah. So, for instance, um, the fact that during Emperor Norton's lifetime, Mm -hmm. he commissioned a bridge... um, Obviously, he did nothing about this, and they did nothing about this at the time, but he knew that they needed to have a bridge that went from San Francisco to this one particular island. Right. And after his death, it was built. Ah, that's so cool. And it's hard to say whether it was his idea, or whether it was just that he was kind of a sensible man for somebody who was so clearly mad. I mean, it does sound like that. It sounds like, apart from... The fact that he believes himself to be Emperor of the United States. He seems to be pretty sane and put together, got a sensible head on his shoulders, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah. Like, I would love to see any sort of like, I mean, I know there aren't any, but any like transcripts of him speaking or anything like that. I'd love to hear what he actually like said directly. Well, we do have some examples of the things that he wrote. Oh, okay. And I can look those up for him in a moment if you like. Yeah, sure. Okay, so to give you an idea of the voice of Emperor Norton mm-hmm. from his writing, on the on October the 12th, 1859, when he tried to have formally abolish the United States Congress, yeah. he said, Fraud and corruption prevent a fair and proper expression of the public voice. Open violation of the laws are constantly occurring, caused by mobs, parties, faction, and undue influence of political sects that the citizen has not that protection of person and property which he is entitled. I mean, he's... Okay. He's a good writer as well. Like, I don't see... Like... I, I, okay, I'm sorry. I'm a bit lost for words just because, like, he is really sane. Yeah. I think that this is one of those people where, without money being a factor, we can call him properly eccentric. Yeah. Rather than necessarily mad. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Eccentric would be a good way to describe it. He's not... He, he's got, he's got, as I say, a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. He's got his shit together. He really does. Can we bring him back? 
Um, well, along with the zombies of the Pacific Club. No, we can leave them. Okay. <laughs> we can leave them because they'll come after us. But I, I, I don't know. Like he just seems really cool, and he's like, uh, he's thinking about the well-being of other people. Absolutely. Do you want to see a picture of him? Yeah. Look at that. Oh my god, that's amazing. Isn't it gorgeous? That's really cool. So he has a peacock feather in his hat, yeah. and a rosette, which yep. was apparently red. As well as his blue suit with his epaulets, yeah. his saber. Excellent. I think he often replaced the saber with one of his collection of walking sticks. Right, yeah. Yeah, so he's got this whole cat collection as well, and I love his beard. Yeah, that's it's wonderful. brilliant, isn't it? My God, he looks really official. Yeah, for people listening <laughs> at home, look look up the Emperor Norton, because his photograph um, in his full dress uniform is just absolutely fantastic. It's genuinely impressive. Yeah. And imagine that man wandering down the streets, checking that the police officers are nicely turned out. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he, he, he'd he be the one to do it because they're not going to be as nicely turned out as he is. No, that's true. I mean, he's doing very well for a man who has no money. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> a man who technically commits fraud by printing his own money. Yep. <laughs> And God knows how he printed it. I yeah, don't know. That's a really good point. How did he get his own money? He must have had some arrangement with some print shop somewhere. Yeah. Wow. They were really willing to, like, to put themselves mm. out there for this man. That is crazy cool of San Francisco. So well done. Well, a tiny round of applause to San Francisco of the past and, I don't know, the present as well. Sure, you can, you can go in there too. I think that San Francisco of the present still embodies this sort of loving feeling. Yeah. Like, you know that in the 80s and 90s, San Francisco was America's gay capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went there, it was just genuinely such a nice, relaxed place. It was one of those places where people would chat to you, um, where people wear interesting clothes and do interesting stuff, but not in a sort of like way to show off themselves, just because they want to. Okay. This has been paid for by the San Francisco Tourist <laughs> Council. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've been a bit mushy, I suppose, this episode. But it just I think sounds, so. It just sounds like he was a really nice guy and everyone around him was nice and... Yeah. Yeah, are you going to tell me that he did something awful during his time? Or... No, he did nothing oh awful. I mean, when the people protested about him getting arrested that one time, yeah. they genuinely said, it doesn't matter if he's mentally ill because he's done no harm to anyone or himself. Oh. This is actually making me a bit sad. I'm sorry. Well, it's because, like, we'll never have someone like that in charge. <laughs> no. Um, well, I tell you what, next... Look at the cabinet. <laughs> Look at the bastards we've got. Next time, I will bring you some more complete arseholes. How's yeah. that? Someone I can get properly angry about, because now I'm just sad. All right. <laughs> well, on that sad note, I think we're going to leave you. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us on That Time When... Uh, thank you once again to Kevin McLeod for our theme and probably any other music I've put in here. Um, and thank you to you for listening and hopefully you will go and give us a rating, a review on iTunes, you'll subscribe to us on Spotify or whatever we've done with this, where we've put it, we're shoving it in your face, (laughs) go eat it, eat the podcast and regurgitate it into other people's ears. A quick disclaimer. Please don't eat the podcast. <laughs>